As much as I like to fight everyone, yeah, yeah. I'm having a pretty good time here. Why you mad? Why you mad? Why you, Why mad? you mad? Hey, Louisa, what's up? Hey, Jake, how's it going? I'm good. I'm wigged out real hard because uh, I threw off my sleep schedule real bad. And <laughs> so I've been awake since 11 p.m. last night and was like up all night working on stuff. And then it's because I'm like self employed. So, like, I'm self employed and I have a sleep disorder. And the way that's working out is I just sort of like pass out and then I just get up and I'm like, guess I'll work some more. And then I like pass <laughs> out again. But it's like all of the days have just sort of ceased to mean what they're supposed to and shit and like kind of feeling unstuck in time. So I'm in this weird thing where I watched everything that we're going to talk about all in one chunk, like on the home theater thing, you know, on my PlayStation last night. And then I literally like was up at like 10 in the morning was like, I guess I could ride my bike to Manhattan to go catch a matinee of candy, man. <laughs> at like noon and then did that and then came back and now it's five in the evening and I'm like completely on Mars, but that'll be good for the show. Yeah, that's fine. Cause uh, we're meeting in the middle. I am ending my work day and uh, I'm going to have a beer. Ooh, because as I said, I've been like not drinking, uh, yeah. which doesn't mean not drinking for anybody who's going to try to call me out. I mean, just like not constantly drinking whiskey <laughs> all the time <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because it turns out that that's bad for you, Jake. Uh, and uh, it gave me acid reflux. Did I tell you that it turns out that that's what the cough is from? Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, dude. So <laughs> it turns out this is what happens if you're drunk. I mean, I guess there's other reasons that people get acid reflux, <laughs> reflux, but um, you can get, I guess you could get heartburn at night and because you're fucking drunk, you don't feel it. And so it just kind of like irritates your throat and then you just start getting a cough, but the cough never goes away because your throat continues to be irritated every night from the acid reflux. So you have to try, like, uh, treat the acid reflux, change your diet, stop fucking drinking alcohol so you're not always just, like, oh, <laughs> like burping up alcohol bubbles. <laughs> um, so I'm trying disgusting as beer as, like, a consolation prize drink. Oh, you're not. I'll just have... You're not a I'll beer just drinker. Okay. No, no. Yeah, no, I just have one, and I'm like, oh, look, I'm sipping a beer at a Texas <laughs> party. I look like a normal person. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Damn. Yeah, I think I'm going to have like a It's like a nasty beer. little soda. I know. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> the, 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 pro, the way beers work is they, like, they're, they, they're cumulative or compounding or whatever. Like, when you drink uh -huh. them, you start to have that quality that any drug has where it's like, oh, this makes me want to do more of it. And then after a while, uh. they taste good because of that. But even, like, I drink beer all the time. But if I stop for a while, the first one I have, I'm like, what the it's fuck? Like gross, it, right? <laughs> yeah. it tastes, like, kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely not good. Um, I mean, it's fucking, it's fine, I guess. I just don't know. Because I also understand some people, like, drink whiskey and they think it's gross. I mean, I actually like it. And I, um, I guess I don't go crazy. I mean, I guess, I don't know. Um, I know how many drinks get me tipsy or, like, how many whiskey Orders, you know yeah get you tipsy and it's time to go home it's like very controlled and nice but it's also one of the harshest flickers um for your body to process and such so <sighs> turns out not good for old people so <laughs> i'm gonna cut it down on the whiskey i'm gonna pretend to be normal by sipping on a beer once in a while 
and the rest of the time, you know, non-alcoholic beverages, blah, blah, blah. Um, but all of that to say that, um, I'm kind of doing the, like, pretending I'm fit. Well, you know, like trying to be like finished with work, but since I work from home and I'm literally still on zoom right now, <laughs> nothing has actually changed in my life. So I'm like, Oh, if I open this beer, it's like I'm now at post work time. <laughs> yeah, that's so depressing. You know I mean? Yeah. Yeah, like, it's super fun and depressing. Ooh, yeah. I can put on my fun Zoom background mm-hmm. now that the work day is over. Look exactly. at me. Exactly. Exactly. I'm on the beach now. I am, and I'm having a <laughs> summer ale that somebody left from one of the barbecue or whatever grill days or whatever. Um, so I figured, you know, it's not summer anymore. Let's drink this bitch. <laughs> Oh, Let's smart. Yeah. It has to be gotten rid of because it's not exactly, its time that's what anymore. I was thinking. It's officially oh God, autumn. This shit is like 5% alcohol. What is this for babies? Oh, no, <laughs> you, so funny. you drink a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> that's so gross. Though. That's why you burp all the time. I can't handle it. Yeah. It's so gross. Beer it's sucks. like a long Sorry, thing. <laughs> Beer is good if you are the type of person, which I am, once you're drinking you like just want to keep drinking because it's yeah because it's so low alcohol it's a big cushion that you can hit mm-hmm. really hard and then not get all the way through whereas like i like drinking whiskey but if, I, if i'm like i will accidentally drink a half a bottle of whiskey and be like oh i'm drunk because i was just sitting here habitually sipping on it you know yeah yeah uh no it's great because uh with whiskey i think it's like highly effective you can show up to the place, to the party, to the situation, have two, three drinks. It's enough to circulate once, see everyone. And then, like, by the time you go around once and had your three drinks, you're tipsy and you can Irish goodbye. Yeah. Like, I'm not a long hangout kind of gal. I'm going to disappear quickly. Well, I think but what anyway, we're discovering yeah. is that you these things interact with the way that you operate. And if, all you have mm-hmm. to do is just, like, recalibrate. If you have to change what you drink, you just figure out how to do that, how to party with that. Yeah. Which so far has been just leave half the beer on the bar. That's <laughs> all right. I do that shit all the time. Yeah. He's like, I'm like, well, uh, I only needed half a beer to circulate around this room once. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, I'm so glad that you did go to see. Uh, and that's weird, too, that you went to see it during the day. I went to see it at night. Um, it just seems like a weird thing to walk out of. A horror, a horror film in general during the day is yeah. weird. And then also, like partially because of covid and also because it's like a weekday afternoon at first i was the only person in the theater and i was so stoked i was just like oh this is great i'm gonna have one of those weird experiences where you just have the whole theater to yourself then like four other people showed up and it was still pretty good but it was like i can't just like yell at the screen and stuff (laughs) and be a complete lunatic but i will say because i'm feeling a little loopy from not sleeping i did get up and go to the bathroom at one point and then like look at the bathroom mirror and be like, ooh, candy man. <laughs> Spooky. <laughs> Don't say it. Because okay. I did grow up with Candyman and he was legitimately, yeah. I think, of all of the movie monsters, the like the scariest one. Like me and my siblings when we were kids used to freak each other out with the go in the bathroom and say Candyman thing and stuff. Yeah. So he does like occupy space in my brain, I think. Yeah. So it was so cool. did you so did you like this one? Yeah, I mean, yes and no. Like, it was good, and I don't think there was anything wrong with it. But, like, uh, on the one hand, let's see what's good about it, right? You know, mm-hmm. we're always talking about how fucking annoying every 
piece of art is because they're all copaganda and stuff like this. Well, this is not like this is the thing that I want to see happen, which is kind of the opposite of that. Right. So like also spoilers for everything. We're going to talk about yeah, Candyman yeah, yeah. and, and the new season of American Horror Story. But like spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Turn off the podcast if you don't want to hear what Candyman is about or whatever this time around. But it's basically just like a uh, it's pretty standard. I thought it was going to be like really taking him out of context, but it's like they you do this with horror movies you're allowed to like reimagine and sort of add on to the lore and stuff and so he did this thing where he like modernized Candyman to be about like gentrification and stuff and like the lore is now that there have been multiple Candymen or I think that might already be in the lore somewhere there have been a few of these movies but like this new guy this modern guy in the movie come kind of becomes the newest iteration of him and they're all uh, black guys who have been wrongfully sort of like lynched and stuff like that. And all these stories from history that are real about people that like, you know, get accused of eyeing someone's daughter and then yada, yada, yada. So they're revenge stories. And that's not outside of the canon of horror films, but that's very similar to like Freddy Krueger or something like that, being like a guy who was burned alive and yada, yada, yada. But my main thing with, uh, I guess with Jordan Peele is just like, he's just so heavy handed. Like, you watch his movies and you're like, okay, like, like, get it. This, you're doing a metaphor and it's about this serious thing that's going on. And I'm, you know, it's, there's nothing wrong with it. I just, I've just seen five or six of his things at this point and I'm like, kind of, I get it. And, um, and I, my main, and, and I would probably feel less like, like that. If uh, it wasn't for the fact that he does this specific thing that he bases all of his messaging off of that bugs me that I don't quite agree with, which is um, it seems like every Jordan Peele like thing revolves around every Jordan Peele story revolves around like a black bourgeois artist type who is like pretty clearly a stand in for himself. And yet uses that character to comment on like race in America. And when I was watching this, the movie opens with a flashback to the Cabrini green housing projects, which is where Candyman is from originally in the first movie, um, right where he haunts. And I was like kind of excited. Cause I was like, yeah, make a movie about the projects, like a horror film, like update that concept. And I thought that was going to be what the movie was. It was like, and now the projects, you know, are still there today, which they are. But then it jumps forward and it's about this like painter who's like really good at painting, but then racism happens and all this shit. And it's fine. But like the thing that I think bothers me about it that I think makes it like not really that good of a story is that if you, you can tell, you can tell your story about being Jordan Peele, or you can tell a story about race in America, but they're not the same story. Like, if you want to comment on race in America, you should make a story that isn't about your extremely unrelatable, like, track of being <laughs> a successful fucking auteur in Hollywood. Like, make a story, make a fucking horror film that revolves around what it's like to be broke and working class and black and living in Chicago. I'm sure that a zillion people could relate to that more than this thing where, you know, it's about like this ideal life that he's living or whatever. Um, so I don't know, you know, it's just, it's really like liberal, you know, but as a movie, fucking cool, cool kills and stuff. I enjoyed watching Candyman kill cops. I it was a really cool way to end a movie. Hmm. What'd you think? Interesting. 
Um, I was trying to find me because I just can't believe that I didn't take notes on this because I told you before we started. Sorry, let me look at blank. I hate mics. Okay. Um, I told you when I before you started that um I didn't really remember the movie because I'm a pothead, you know. Um, and I legit like just forgot a movie immediately after I watch it, but. You telling me this just totally opened the floodgates, right? And there are so many things, so many things to say, Jake. Um, you know, you remember that when I like told you to watch it, I was like, I don't, I was like, I specifically am not looking to talk about the race stuff, right? Which I don't mean as like, we can't talk about, right? But it just, to me, was um, the least, um, I guess, interesting Ooh, better fucked up word. <laughs> uh, let's just go with it and hear me out, right? Kind of the least interesting part of this movie, and it seemed in this way of what you're saying of it being like a Jordan Peele signature. That's going to be his take on it. He's going to bring in uh, like generational uh, race, racial disparity and abuse, and then um, tie it into police specifically, right? And if you recall, uh, do you remember when we talked about Twilight Zone? You know, the two Twilight Zones? Yeah. And then he had that episode that was like very Jordan Peele. There was like uh, the, the mom with recording with the VCR machine. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Back in time. So that's another one of these, right? Where he basically has taken, and I'm going to argue that American Horror Stories does a similar thing. Did you see in season uh, episode six? Yeah, yeah. I saw the whole thing. Okay, yeah. So, because there's also a cop in that one, and there's like, we'll talk, <laughs> we'll talk about that one in a second, but just to stick with Jordan Peele, um, it's weird that it seems like what he does in a lot of cases, and maybe not all of his work, but in certainly most of the stuff I've seen, is to take um, a classic trope or narrative or existing um, canon, you know, like piece, right? And then uh, produce his take on it, which is what we want for creators to do. But he specifically always translates his what his vision is into this like insert police abuse of black people into this story. Right. Yeah. Which, again, is important. Or I didn't say it before, but <laughs> let me make it clear. It is important stuff that we should be talking about that should be represented in media more often because of how often it has happened and how long it has happened in America um, and the fucking like far reaching implications of like sending people to jail for the rest of their life uh, or like even just ruining the record and making it impossible for them to get certain kind of jobs and all that shit. Right. Um, it is really important, but it is weird that there is like a mirroring going on in what is happening with Jordan Peele and what is happening with the character of the artist in Candy, okay? Because um, Jordan Peele, he seems to be, well, let's not even get into like criticizing him because it doesn't matter. Let's just talk about the content of this movie. So the artist, um, the artist himself, like um, if you recall, so he lives in a really nice apartment in the newly gentrified uh, uh, Cabrina Green, which it used to be projects, right? Yeah. And it used to be the project specifically, as you said, where Candyman haunted and came from originally. Um, and so this is now a young, successful art black, like artsy black couple who lives in this gentrified fancy building. But it's actually not because of him. It's because of his girlfriend. Right. Yeah. So his girlfriend, he's an artist, but she is an art gatekeeper. Right. So she uh, works in a, fa a very like traditionally white job of being 
an art space gatekeeper who does live like if she were white, she would be a gentrifier bad person, right? Because she lives in a newly gentrified area in a fancy building that displaced poorer black people so that she could live there and work her job of being um, like a curator at a gallery, right? Yeah. And she's like an up and coming, doing well. And like all the people, like you see that she gets offered a job at a museum, you know, like she's doing great. Whereas he is actually stagnated. So we get to hear from the girlfriend and from him that he was apparently successful at some point, but he stopped producing interesting art and then kind of stopped producing. So the girlfriend is kind of like, oh, always like, oh, did you get any work done today? Oh, can I see it? <laughs> you know, and he's like, oh, I don't know. So he's totally uninspired. He's not able to produce anything. And um, he becomes obsessed. He hears about the Candyman tale from his girlfriend's brother, right? And he becomes obsessed with, like, going down to the project's space where it used to be or whatever is left of it and investigating the story and, like, chasing it down to find out what happened. And in it, he starts to find, like, inspiration and he starts painting specifically about Candyman, right? Yeah. But what he does is, like, bring Candyman back, <laughs> right? <laughs> to, like, kill people and shit. So it is this very, like, he can, he, like, even when he starts to suspect that this is because of what he's fucking bringing out and feeling guilty and everything, he keeps doing it because it's part of what's keeping him producing as an artist. Oh, you know? okay, totally. Yeah. Right? This is just like the American Horror Story. Yeah, see? <laughs> That's yeah. why I'm like, it's, it's fucking weird. And so then, like, but then it's also this question of, like, is that not what Jordan Peele is doing? <laughs> of Like, I'm not saying, like, his work kills people by any means, but, like, uh, I think he might possibly identify. You, you said it yourself that it's always these figures that seem to be reflective of him. Um in uh, Twilight Zone, he also had the episode that was about the writer that he he played himself as an actor. Yeah. Remember? Yeah, yeah. And it was about a black young woman writer, and obviously he like projected onto her all of his fucking conflict about being a writer and being a black writer and all this stuff. And he's do he like I think he did the same thing with this artist where I think his conflict is that he is torn by like what his responsibility is as a person and to his community and you know and, like the power of his position and his identity versus the pressure and capitalism to continue to produce especially because if he doesn't continue to produce he loses the aforementioned power and influence and all of that right so then he's stuck instead of actually creating honestly often just replicating a formula that seems to keep everyone happy no yeah and i kind of saw that in that artist what do you think of that take yeah no that makes sense I and mean, i was kind of i mean, I literally just watch it so my brain's yeah. still kind of cooking it a little bit but that's what i was yeah. trying to figure out i was like what is the role of art in this and what how does that relate to any of the overall things that he's trying to say but i guess it is just that it is like this metaphor about i mean it's the thing where jordan peele just inserts himself into it and then he yeah. juxtaposes it with all this other stuff and tries to make a connection of like and this somehow is also connected to like this greater idea about the police and stuff like that but i'm just like not really sure to me it's liberalism yeah. it's like individual like your individual story isn't it's interesting i don't know if it's fucking five movies interesting though like does it have to be every yeah. movie you know Dude, i know and here's the thing i think that um i totally think that you're right so like um What's what was disappointing, I guess, about the movie to me is that I think that he could have included that 
message, you know, the stuff about um, gentrification, about police brutality, about racial um, disparity, like racism, all this stuff. Yeah. If he had, and I guess they, the people who wrote this together, had focused more on the trope or the narrative of the artist and how that relates to the all of the previous people who were part of the Candyman narrative. Right. Because if you remember, the other thing that they have in this narrative is uh, the white lady, right? The anthropologist. Yeah, yeah. Which they, the whole time while he's investigating what the Candyman story is, he is hearing about this white lady like, oh, she's evil and she was trying to steal the black baby. You remember? Yeah. And um, like he was investigating already with this like, I don't want to say prejudice, but like expectation of how like, because he just heard about the gentrified um, projects and all this stuff and the way this man was treated and all of that, that he, uh, he like expected that of course there was like an evil white person that was part of what created Candyman besides just like whiteness in general being racist. Yeah. But then it turns out that it was that the white lady was actually the one from the first Candyman movie who was trying to save that baby. Right. But it's, so it was like about, it was an interesting kind of like nod at how narratives get twisted, right? And reversed and all of this stuff. But if he had focused on it for as an artist and like really dug into it, because you know what? There was only like, not only, there was one brilliant line, which I don't fucking remember verbatim, but it was something to the effect. Oh, so you, oh, you remember the fucking, so this is, it was so much about art, dude. It's so crazy. You remember the fucking white lady that works at the gallery? Oh, she's like an art critic. Yeah. And she she went to see one of his shows. Yeah. He, he did the Candyman thing. Yeah. 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 And she I, was I just like, this is fucking good. boring <laughs> or whatever. You know, yeah. like she was a total bitch to him. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, once he did the Candyman stuff and like kind of blew up again, she came around being like, oh, my God, everything is so great. Let me get an interview and like kissing his ass and whatever. And so then he was like, you know, let me ask you, like a few weeks ago, you were like thinking, you know, shit, like, what would you why are you now here? And oh, and I think it was specifically because somebody died, and then it like that brought a bunch of fucking oh, in the gallery too. She so she was saying like she was trying to explain like uh, really uncouthly like yeah, this just made your work so relevant or whatever. Yeah, and he just says like because yeah. someone died. She's like no, nah, because of the thematics. But that's like basically what she was saying. Exactly, like, exactly. So she she's a fucking bitch, and so she sucks. And then he finally says something good that I think ties up what I think Jordan Peele and the writer's attempt was to to make this about, which was he says um, something about gentrification, or she says something about gentrification, and then she like makes an offhand comment about how um, uh, like I guess the 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 two the artist and his girlfriend who are black, as they said, make some kind of face when she says something about the gentrification in the area. Yeah. So then she goes, Oh, well, you know, don't, don't make a face like that. Like I know artists also love gentrification. You get to move in and benefit from uh, the low rents. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And he gets like really mad and he says something to her, the effect to the effect of like, uh, no, actually like artists have always been part of what you are gentrifying also because artists go and live somewhere that is low cost so that they can produce art. And that's part of what makes the neighborhood cool and what makes all of you want to move here. And that's when you come here and you displace us all to just gentrify an area that we made cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and in that included also that were that was predominantly black and all of that stuff. So then uh it was like, okay, you got close <laughs> to how actually even more like the the identity of black 
male artist in the story would have been much more interesting than just black male. Does that make sense? I don't know if that's like a rude thing to say. <laughs> but what do you mean? Uh, like if they, if he, if the artist guy had been presented as more, uh, as multidimensional as opposed to just a black man who falls to the same fate as all black men in this neighborhood have for generations. Interesting. I guess, um, I don't, to me, I thought they were trying to carve out a specific statement about the fact that he was a black artist that like i didn't really see entirely fleshed out because to me the the part that stuck out to me for kind of the whole movie was this thing where she said at the art gallery um you know your types you come in and you move here and then he kind of raised an eyebrow and goes what do you mean your types because it sounds like she's saying black people and she goes oh artists and then he has this weird moment where he's like oh shit it like is the processes and goes like you know wait a minute am i like by nature of an artist gentrifying this neighborhood and then he sort of gets drunk and goes hey wait no fuck you like that doesn't compute i'm black i'm from this neighborhood and that is actually different like to be a black artist in that neighborhood is probably actually different than being a white person who's gentrifying it but he's got this whole thing where he still thinks he's from the south side so he still does feel kind of guilty like he is gentrifying a neighborhood within the city and then later on when he goes down the rabbit hole he discovers that he was born in greeny green so he's actually not gentrifying (laughs) like he is this the he is the thing that he was worried that he was going to be like sats uh committing a sacrosanct against or whatever and then that turns into this like um messiah crazy thing where he becomes Candyman or whatever Um, Well, that's totally the conversation that I was talking about. So that's great that you fleshed it out more. But you see what I mean? That in in that whole thing, he is two-dimensional in the sense that even like his self-discovery about him being from Cabrini Green, it all goes back to like just a a one-dimensional black male character, right? Where his destiny was already tied and decided by the place that he was born and like all these things are fact in a lot of way for in a black experience and a lot of people's experience but you completely didn't include the artist facet of this person in this conversation or in this realization like it came out in words against the lady but he didn't hasn't internalized like they or they don't show us any any like him yeah. identifying as an artist except where he feels inferior well he like that's what i'm saying is kind of a major critique of this thing yeah. is that the two major like ideas in the movie don't mesh with each other and don't form yeah. into like an ultimate combined thing and i think part of that is because when you have like liberal art like this like the, the stuff that jordan peele makes even though a lot like, i fucking love it and a lot of it's really great yeah. it's just like the idea of what a young person doing art is, is such a warped like concept. It's like, you know, the, the, I don't think he sees it as a role in society that's like separate or for other people or like does a thing in the way that like the American horror story thing carves out where it's like, you are special people. There are non-special people or whatever. Like, I think you think Jordan Peele doesn't think that or the, the artist in the movie. Uh, Jordan Peele like I kind of think that like the the artist archetype that's being presented in Jordan Peele's Candyman is just like it's not even a a type of character it's like everyone is an artist everyone should be able to do this this is an everyman even though he's an artist like I don't agree at all 
Yeah, you think? I think that this movie would have been exactly the same if you had put had put any job any other job in there, right? Which yeah. is why you are reading it as an everyman. But the fact that he chose it to be an artist, that there are multiple murders within the walls of an art gallery, including gatekeepers of multiple kinds and hanger honors to artists who really like take away from their life and their creativity and all this shit, right? Uh, dude, it was fucking very purposefully flooded with like, the point is that this person is an artist, but then they didn't, it's like they abandoned that halfway through and then went with fully just like an every man black man experience well yeah i think that that doesn't make sense sorry but it doesn't make sense especially for someone like jordan peele where you cannot like if he said to my face i don't believe that the artist has any of these responsibilities or whatever i'd be like then what the fuck are you doing with all of your work that's crazy of course he believes in having the responsibility and all of that shit it's what's keeping him from truly like getting wild with his creativity it just this whole vibe kind of reminds me of like pepsi commercials and like cell phone commercials and stuff and like the way that our lives are advertised to us by mega corporations that try to sell us stuff which is like you know uh even if like it's an ad for like work at burger king it's always like hey you live in the city and you love djing and (laughs) dancing and doing all this self-expression and stuff and then also yeah. you shop at Verizon or whatever. So this is imagined idealized life that like is just only exists kind of in these yeah. advertisements and dreams that people have in capitalism. And like in that imagination in the universe of a Burger King commercial, yeah. everyone's a break dancer and everyone's a painter and everyone's a DJ and everyone's a thing or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And I kind of think that that's like the world that he lives in, which is <laughs> that everyone <laughs> is these things. And I, th- uh, or like if if you're not it's just you're not like i don't know you're you just you you could be or whatever and i th- that i think that he doesn't grapple with the thing that they grapple with in the american horror story story where like there's this question of like um do, do i have natural talent am i do i have the, i have a finite amount of resources in my life like a finite amount of time on earth should I pursue being an artist? Like not everyone makes that decision and decides or calculates that and decides, yes, this is a thing I'm going to pursue or whatever. It's for him. I think the reason it's not part of the story is because it's not a decision. This guy's really, it doesn't play into like this guy. There's no conflict. The guy is not really have a whole lot of conflict about whether or not he should paint. It's just like, Oh, I'm not doing a good job at it right now. Well, I guess there's a little bit of conflict where then he did, the Candyman stuff makes him like better at it or whatever, but it doesn't. It, it destroys him ultimately. Well, yeah, it's but really, he, really bad, and his paintings are disgusting and gross and fucked up and horror. Well, I thought they looked cool, so maybe that's why I didn't understand yeah. the movie. But <laughs> he also, <laughs> like, uh, I, I guess he he never considers like um, it doesn't play it. Okay, the art stuff. I think the reason this movie kind of fails to me on this level is it does not play into his crisis about his own character the way that like the finding out he was born in cabrini green stuff does it just kind of falls off which that's what i'm saying that what human on earth okay you are an artist are you telling me that you going through two years of a dry spell and not being able to produce anything creatively is going to have less of an impact on your life and your mental health than finding out that you were born in fucking Houston and not San Antonio or whatever the fuck? Of course not, Jake. It's insane. It's a stupid, bad narrative decision. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, 
they that's what I mean that it um it became you know how when you hear people complain about like female characters that are written by men it's precisely because of this right and so it's very weird to see a a character that was purportedly written by a black a black man character artist also written by a black character black man artist and yet he had a one-dimensional um personality the he was like the movie was bad it failed to me because he was conflicted about the art and that's why i mean that like that's the path it should have gone down because if you think about it um the fact that he was not doing well in his art was a source of problems between him and his girlfriend right like it was causing stress in their relationship it caused stress with him and his girlfriend's brother because he was like making comments and shit uh it made him feel inferior when he was around all the art people who like didn't want to pay attention to him anymore so he's literally feeling like emasculated um unable like worthless and like he's not good enough for the woman that he's with and every like his whole it's this is where we're going and then it makes sense that he got obsessed with the candy man story as like an interesting thing that's happening in your neighborhood or is a story from your neighborhood you know what i mean so of course if you're like an artist or a history or podcast or whatever you might go find out right yeah and then cool that gives you ideas to start stories but then from there they did not do a good job of unraveling or i guess maybe like connecting i should say how the narrative of Candyman, especially the way that they wanted to present it as a commentary on the reality of racial relations in that neighborhood and in America, et cetera, with why this particular guy who is an artist and was already going through this other personal crisis <laughs> is connected to this. You get me? Like, it's yeah. just like, they could have just been like, oh, the girl, uh, she's the one. <laughs> just switched it and whatever. So... Um, it's unfortunate because I do think that it's a little bit of what's happening. So like Jordan Peele, I think, um, I think he like de facto accepts the idea that artists have a responsibility and it weighs so heavily on him that that's why we see these continued attempts of him trying to grapple with similar subjects constantly. And like, look, a lot of fucking artists do this. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. When um, I was watching it, I noticed that and I was like, yeah. actually it would be kind of like uh naive to go like, Oh, I've figured it out that he's no, doing he it again. Yeah. It's like, no, he's <laughs> yeah. doing this on purpose. Like this is exactly. motif exactly. he's working with. That's fine. Absolutely. You're allowed to do yeah. that. Absolutely. And that's why my criticism is not that he's doing it, but that he is um, kind of plateauing himself and not really able to push through and, make a different commentary or present it a different way or or I don't I don't know not that it has to be different but what are we reaching I don't know whereas uh, American Horror Story I think is a really weird season about um overall the concept of like artists and how they fit into the world and the human population whereas Jordan Peele's work is kind of like already within the framework of an artist and he's not too concerned with what non-artists are doing or thinking yeah well i just think that's weird though because the second theme of the thing is like this great huge like i'm going to tell the entire story of america thing so how do you have a personal story and a macro level story like that and not really look at the personal story through a macro lens yeah because you are looking at the fucking macro story through a personal lens yeah 
So it just there's like exactly. a, it's like three. Every time he tells a story, it's like three quarters of a story. And I watch it, and I'm exactly. like, oh, I can see the fucking missing piece. I want to make it myself. I want to like, dude. And partially, don't you think it's like a little bit of like maybe like this over production shit where like once like everybody wants you and you know not saying no to everything and not wanting to pass up an opportunity which is kind of like that black pilled shit in american horror stories but hold on because let's let me introduce can we go to american horror stories yeah let's do it because we'll just go back and forth anyway sure yeah. um but american horror stories i'm so excited did you like it first of all yeah i had a great time watching it it's cool right yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I think if you are the kind of person who loves horror but doesn't take it serious too seriously in the sense of like, oh, it has to be a formula and uh, you have to know the canon and blah, blah, blah. Like, just fucking enjoy it. <laughs> American uh, Horror Story is good uh, for the most part. So I did watch all the ser- the whole series. Um, the first season is very good. And then there's varying goodness levels. So some are not so great. <laughs> Uh, but then what happened is that I stopped watching a few and then in the middle somewhere there's one that is called Apocalypse and I fucking love Apocalypse shit. So I like got back in trying to watch that one. Yeah. And then it turns out like in the first episode, I was like, what the fuck are they referring to the season before? <laughs> like I was like, wait a minute. I thought they were supposed to be like standalone seasons. Right. Yeah. But then in one particular season, like the witch one, they added this whole fucking like interdimensional and time travel shit that the witches could do. They so break all sorts of yes, their own rules on that show. It's crazy. Rules. Yeah. And it's kind of really great, Jake, because that's the point. It's like, it is a show that I think everybody who writes for it, um, cares about the canon and has watched the canon and all that shit. Uh, but they, they are uh, not afraid to try to do something different with it and break it. And, uh, I think that's what makes it overall good, even when it misses. So the new season is called uh, Double Feature, because for the first time, what they're doing with this one is they're breaking up the season into two stories. And one story is uh, episode one through six, and the second story is going to be seven through 12. But I don't know if they're connected at all. From the graphic, it looks like this first one was like these zombie pill dudes, which we'll talk about. Uh-huh. And the second one, it looks like it's going to be aliens or lizard people. <laughs> I yeah, know. I read a little bit about it. I think it's 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 a different part of the country. So it's going to be in the Southwest yeah. and it's going to yeah. be aliens. And yeah. who knows if they're in the same universe as the we Red Tide story or what. Because yeah. like, as we just said, they just they play with the do rules every they time they fucking yeah. do it, which is a fun <laughs> concept for a show. Totally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And especially because um, they have a rotating cast of people uh, for the most part stays the same every um, season. But they obviously are playing like different characters, except once they started crisscrossing all the seasons, then they would have like multiple people being played by one person you know that kind of thing. <laughs> um so it's really cool but anyway this this one it's so funny um i tweeted something about like how tv was getting good again because writers don't uh, tv writers don't know shit but they're starting to write about tv writers <laughs> and that's like the only thing they know about and the shit is getting better right so like even as i criticize jordan peele i do think making art about art is good i like it i think um because this country has a miserable arts education, it's worth making normal people think about it in their horror stories and shit, too. Uh, so this season is called Red Tide, right? Yeah. Is that the title? Yeah. And it is basically about a, a little family, like a, a little white family, a pregnant lady, and then her husband, who's a TV writer, <laughs> and their little, <laughs> their little like eight-year-old daughter, right? And they are going for the winter to uh, Provincetown, right? Which is one of these fucking, like, sorry again, white people islands <laughs> where they go for, like, 
I mean, I call it that because, you know, brown people, we go to warm islands. These motherfuckers go to cold islands where they are like, <laughs> you know, where people wear sweaters on the beach and shit. You it's know? a very East Coast specific yeah. thing. I only know about yeah. this from being friends with people up here and getting dragged off to their Airbnb trips and being like, oh, this is what you guys do oh, up here. You go yeah. see a lighthouse for a weekend. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I think it's because they sunburn too much. So they're like, yeah. they enjoy different <laughs> off-season beach times. So, yeah, so this is one of those towns, you know, where I guess like um, it is uh, the on season is the summer when all the city people come and fucking hang out and do their fucking family shit and whatever. But during the winter season, only the locals are there, basically. And then this little family unit um, goes to stay there for the winter for two reasons. One is because the wife has she's a interior decorator and we quickly be- pick up that she's a sort of an amateur interior decorator because she has like it's like about her instagram account you know (laughs) like it's not she doesn't have employees or anything it's just like a thing that she got hired by someone to redecorate this beach house in the winter right yeah and her husband who is a writer and has been having writer's block and just got fired from he had been writing in a um like a police serial drama kind of thing so not creative work (laughs) you know he wasn't being like fucking Tolstoy or whatever but he was like writing the same kind of episode of a, of a police drama over and over again yes, yes I mean, he got, I but remember. it's yeah but it's just, it's steady work right so they were living well so then he gets fired from that so he's going to this to Provincetown to write right so to like try to get pump out some fucking screenplays and shit and get hired and they're there and uh soon we find out that there is oh so Macaulay Culkin. How do you love I love Macaulay Culkin. Oh he's great, he's yeah. So great. <laughs> so Macaulay Culkin is like the town uh like hustler, you know, like he's a drug addict who's like charming sort of and he fucking hustles everyone and he'll suck your dick to get some pills and whatever, right? And so he knows everyone in the town, and um what he will do is that he like will hook up some people with these this like special black pills. And it turns out that these black pills, what they do is um, if you are a talented person, right, you take this pill and it's almost like super Adderall, right? And you just fucking all your ideas open up and you'll sit there and you'll write five novels in a week and you fucking you're ready to go. Like you're you're you are Tolstoy. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like you're whatever fucking, your thing is, you're whatever really your good thing at it. And yeah, you just exactly. see the muse immediately. Yeah, exactly. And um, the problem is that if a person takes this who is not actually talented, they think they are maybe, right? But they're not actually talented, then they turn into what they call the pale people. <laughs> and they are <laughs> they are like these hairless zombie slash vampire type dudes that uh, pretty much just attack like regular people. They don't get they don't attack the people, the black pilled people. Let's call them that the black pilled artists, right? Yeah. Uh, but they do attack regular people and they drain their blood. So you would think, well, if I'm really like talented, I'll take the pill. I believe in that I wouldn't turn into a pale person. But here's a, a caveat. You also turn into a vampire sort of <laughs> or like a zombie. Like you don't look weird. But in order to keep your fucking creative juices going to maintain it, you have to drink human blood. So you fucking go out and you kill humans so that you can do this. So it turns out that on this island, there's like a little... um kind of a working fucking ecosystem in which there's a bunch of artists, not about like several artists who go there every winter to take their black pills and produce all the work that they need, like the novels, whatever that they need to sell for the next year. And then when summer season comes, they leave. 
because the deal with the town is they won't attack the locals, right? They'll only attack undesirables, so like the homeless, prostitutes, sex workers, etc. You know, that's what I'm. Um, and oh yeah, and there's a lot of surplus people laying around because this is yeah. apparently you know there was like a, a wave of like yeah meth and opioids yeah. and stuff like that, so it's all exactly. set up correctly. There's just these nobodies yeah. everywhere. And so the bougie town people kind of like love the fact. So they like straight up are like, Oh, we love getting to brag about the how artists come here in the off season and they produce all these great work here. And it's also great for them that they're like dealing with the vagrants and shit. Right. And it was all working fine, but then they get this like new cop who comes in and she starts to notice all the vagrant deaths and she starts to put shit together. And then, um, we go back to this family <laughs> and the family. Pretty great, uh, because what happens with the family is that the dad takes the black pill and he becomes a really good writer instead of like a shitty screenwriter for TV. He writes some fucking like huge masterpieces, right? And like the whole thing was like, um, fuck, what's his face from Newsroom? It's <laughs> calling Aaron him, like Sorkin you know, like, yeah, exactly. Like Tarantino Aaron Sor- Sorkin wants people. to meet with him, yeah, exactly. Tarantino wants to do whatever play he wants, like whatever. And then um, <laughs> it's funny because the so the little daughter plays the violin and she like figures out what the dad is doing and she takes the fucking pill too. And she becomes like a little psycho vampire that plays the violin like a little master. And the mom starts to like get suspicious, right? Because they're like not eating. They're kind of pale. <laughs> they're up all night doing their art. And they're kind of like the daughter becomes like a total bitch. <laughs> and yeah. she's like, like she starts um very much being the epitome of uh this idea of artists thinking that they're better than people who are not creative because right? she's a kid so she's got no filters she just says exactly. what the artists are thinking get their yeah. id, you know exactly exactly so she starts to resent the mom because here's this fucking woman i think she calls her a glass of milk or something she's like, here's <laughs> yeah, this- she calls her a glass of oat milk yeah and she's like this woman is like you know, she's like, she's not talented. She's not anything. She's not better or smarter than me. And she wants to like make me go to bed instead of letting me become the genius I should be or whatever. So she tries to like convince the dad that they should eat the mom. <laughs> That's so funny. And the dad's like, no, she's your mom. Don't say that. So then she tricks the, she tries to trick the mom into taking the pill. And the mom realizes like, oh my God, she tried to turn me into one of those things. Yeah. And then the fucking girl actually convinces the mom and is like, oh, but you're so talented at decorating houses and rooms, mom. <laughs> I believe in you. Don't you, don't you, uh, do you think dad doesn't believe in you? And that's why he doesn't want to take, want you to take the pill. <laughs> so she fucking takes it. And sure enough, she turns into a fucking, uh, Man, zombie that part person. chilled me to the bone. Like this, this, this show is dumb, but it does authentically do some stuff that is kind of horror ish. And like, yeah, or at like least just tiny, cute, really dark on some level. Yeah. And when the mom gets turned into an insane zombie Nosferatu thing and her hair falls yeah. out and shit, that bummed me out, man. That was sad totally. about it. No, and the little daughter, like smiling, her evil smile, like just so happy to be rid of her. Uh, just like, <laughs> oh, horrible. Right? Yeah. It's also funny how the daughter kind of came up with that plan in tandem with her dad's agent who gets agent. In- 
she becomes involved in all this stuff as the you know industry gatekeeper type who you know you it's funny because she's you would you're when she's becomes involved in the world of vampires you're as a viewer expecting to go through an adventure with her where she's horrified and then she's yada 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 but what's funny about the sense of humor about this show is that she's like immediately like okay i get it let's fucking kill some people because she's a sociopath by nature being a hollywood person let's not even fucking go there because (laughs) that's what i think that we need to end on but hold on even before we go there we leave the artist thing because the artist thing there's like a lot um of layered criticism and self-criticism i guess for (laughs) artists in it that is like real fucked up dude so there's like um so there's the fact that a whole underlying narrative to this little half season is that being an artist, being a successful artist is inherently uh, contra- contradictory to family life and vice versa. Yeah. Right. Because if you look at it, all of the successful black pill takers don't have families. Right. Uh, they eat babies. They love to eat babies. They're delicious. <laughs> you know, they're like, oh, it gives me a, I get to stay, stay up all night. Writing. Um, the, Husband and, you know, obviously that whole family is falling apart because of the just the strain of like whether they're they're driving or their reason for being is to be a family unit who loves each other and be together forever or to be the best artist we can possibly be, even if that means leaving behind those who don't measure up. Right. Yeah. And it's really interesting because, you know, we've talked about it before where I think it's not always um they're not always so conducive to one another and it's problematic the way that people try to make them work. But you know, I'm not here to make anybody feel bad about their choices. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But just some quotes Um, because then, so the dad, he like obviously loved taking the black pills and he's like killing it, writing all that shit. But then he's like very conflicted when his daughter starts taking it. Cause then he's like a bad dad who's letting his daughter turn into a monster. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, he's like writing and be like yeah i rule and then at one point she's like trying to convince him not to feel guilty and like not to stop taking the pill and he goes he was like don't you he's like what did he say he's like uh oh it's not okay to hurt oh my god she tries to eat her brother how could i forget the little baby do you remember that yeah she feeds off of the baby I mean, like, there's a lot of crazy shit that happens yeah she shows. like sucks blood out of the baby so that it's like a nine-year-old girl fucking trying to eat her brother oh it's fucked up yeah and so when he catches her he says um it's not okay to hurt people just to be good at something yeah 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 which is like <laughs> you could say that to every comic you've right. ever met <laughs> to every like and again another thing that jordan peele dealt with in twilight zone in the stand-up episode because you remember the stand-up episode was the one where the people kept disappearing when right, the comics made bits about them i was thinking about that when i was watching this and i was like yeah. i just thought it was interesting because when i watched that twilight zone episode i didn't really like i was like i don't feel like yeah. i do that when i write material but then yeah. i watched this i noticed the same parallel was happening and i was like is this a thing that TV writers really feel guilty about? Because this is coming through in a lot of TV writing that like they're using up people around them or something. Or maybe it's uh, just that I'm a comic that doesn't do this, but most comics do. Like I'm also not like a lot of comics. Yeah. Um, yeah. And With I mean, most of your horn. comedy is like not so super personal, right? It's like more political and observational. And I just feel and, like comics use each other in the networking more than the, in the material. Unless you're talking about like, you know, just white guy, like racist or misogynistic comedy or like, no, or like no, people that talk too that. much about their relationships and stuff like that. Yeah. 
I think it's a combination of things. I think one is uh, definitely like content wise. Um, maybe not every comic does it, but like, uh, I guess people assume every artist will do it. That's why people will often say to comics, like, oh, don't put me in your jokes. <laughs> don't yeah. put me in your routine. And in comics are like, why the fuck would I ever? <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> um, but it is because we expect, everybody I think expects that that's what artists are doing is putting their own experiences and interactions and shit into their art. And some are, but some aren't, right? But I would argue that in stand-up, like to to the point of um, the Jordan Peele Twilight episode, I think, because uh, also the thing with horror and this kind of shit is that, or sci- whatever, we're not going to get into that argument, <laughs> is that... Uh, <sighs> It, you know, sometimes people will be like, oh, this metaphor was like so plain and it hits you over the head. And it's like, yeah, that's the fucking point. It's not supposed to be all like subtlety and whatever. Like a lot of horror is jump scares, is fucking yelling at you in your face about shit. Yeah. And so what the Jordan Peele stand up episode was doing, I think, was less about being like literally when comics say a joke about someone, it hurts them. But more that. A comic can often be the type of person that puts themselves and their art ahead of everyone else around them to the point of where they're not at your friend's wedding. They're not at your mom's hospital side bedside. They're not ready to have a kid when you're ready to have a kid. They're like not present in your life. Right. Yeah. And they drain your time and your emotional energy and your expectations of life. <laughs> like yeah. all these other ways in which you are draining <laughs> Do I sound like I have a chip on my shoulder? No, I'm fine. <laughs> uh, in which you could be, I guess, um, taking away from someone else's life to put yours first. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, you also do it to yourself, too. Like This is kind of yeah. reminding me of this thing that you have, uh, this dilemma you have as like a comic where you constantly have your notebook and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I need to write down every funny thing that happens. And like your friend that's with you might be like, can't you just enjoy a funny thing that happens or like you're at a concert and you're like recording it on your phone and you're like why don't you just watch the concert like not through your cell phone and through a grainy video you're not ever gonna watch again you know you you were constantly in a mode of needing to commodify every experience or like make it into a fucking product or whatever it like robs you of the experience of being alive so that like dilemma is kind of inherent in all this shit too because like yeah you know the kid like the kid is like doesn't want to do all these things that a kid should be doing it just you just kind of like you know having these weird ball busting conversations with her dad where she's just like don't you want to be the fucking best you know and yeah what is that what is the end result there for the kid even kind of an empty hollow thing where she's totally. like oh this is meaningless if i'm like really good at fucking you know violin what a little psycho though right she's terrifying like look my hair stand up thinking about that little freaking psychopath um which which also good actor but also um she was a great commentary on the fucking prodigy thing right how that idea of the of what of when a person becomes or identifies as an artist and the effects that that has on them it can start very early right and i think that was the point of this character was that it's not just adults who get caught up in this, like, everything I'm supposed to be and supposed to produce and supposed to have and what's expected of me, you know? Yeah. Um, but let's talk about two other interesting artists in this, which uh, were, fuck, I don't remember her character's name, but Sarah Paulson, you remember? So she was, like, kind of like, a, she was a meth head, right? Oh, yeah who, yeah. who hung out with Macaulay Culkin a lot. Yeah. 
and we see through flashbacks that she was a painter, right? And, um, you know, she was like kind of a shitty painter and she didn't um, get like shown at the local gallery or anything. So that's kind of why she became a meth head and she went into this like fucked up side. And so then being friends with the Macaulay Culkin character, he offers her the pills because let's pause here. What happened with Macaulay Culkin is that he once upon a time also fancied himself a writer, right? And he, we see in flashbacks, doing his like picking up John's thing or whatever at a bar, he meets this uh, black woman uh, who's like very serious and is like walks up to him and seemingly like propositions him. But when they get back to the hotel room, her proposition is not sex. Her proposition is that she wants him to work for her by bringing her people that she can experiment on by giving them the drug she created, these black pills, right? Yeah. So he's like, what do these black pills do, right? So she says, these black pills, uh, which I don't know if she tells him at this point, but basically she worked for the army. And the point was that she was, she's a scientist and she was trying to develop something for the army. Uh, oh, she explains it to him to make better soldiers. And Macaulay Culkin is like, what? They wanted to make the soldiers more creative. And she's like, no, they wanted to make them less creative. But in order to, to, to erase something, you got to be able to find it. So once she figured out how to find the creativity, right, then she made a reverse drug than what the soldiers wanted or what they wanted for the soldiers and instead made one that super amps your creativity and turns you into a genius in your field with all the caveats that were stated before. Um, So what she wants to do is test the, the latest version of it. So she first offers it to Macaulay Culkin and he's like, no, I don't think I want to take it. And then she's like, why? You don't think that you're talented enough? And he actually is just like honest with himself. Or one could argue not confident enough in himself, right? Because we don't actually know whether Macaulay Culkin is a good writer or, or like his character is a good writer or not. Well, he later on does become like he takes the pill and then he oh, it, right. it does yeah. work. So I think the answer is he's just not confident yes. in himself. He was not confident. Exactly. So he exactly. Thank you. So he's the not confident version of the artist. So he also becomes a meth head and instead of taking the pill because he doesn't believe that he won't become one of the pale people, he starts bringing her art, like people who think they're artists basically yeah, to take the pill and she gives him like 50 bucks or whatever for <laughs> each person so he can get high, right? So he does this for years and that's why Provincetown is full of these fucking pale people because more than half of them are fucking <laughs> turning into these zombies because they're not actually talented like yeah can i say uh, something about the pale people i like a lot yeah i think one of my favorite parts of this whole story is the like the explanation and origin story of the first pale guy because as you start to understand like who these characters are all sort of avatars for within the entertainment industry and stuff like that successful artists and gatekeepers and industry and people like that and like even the macaulay culkin guy there's probably a fucking you know an avatar for him somewhere in 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 the in the industry side of booking and shit like he's like a scout or something well the fucking the, I thought a little bit like that could be like the Booker, yeah, uh, bringing bringing you the talented and untalented to this to machine to eat up. So the the failed artists who sort of are not even self aware, right? They're automatons. Mm-hmm. They don't even understand what's happening to them, and they wallow forever in the wilderness, just sort of like pecking at each other and barely surviving. Right? That's like totally, half yeah. oh. of 
not even half. That's most artists, More than half, right? Most of, yeah. And uh, one thing I thought was really funny about them was the origin story is like, so they give the pill to this one guy when they're first testing it out, and then all his hair falls out, and then they realize like, oh yeah, if you don't have talent, it does this other thing, and you become a fucking you know beast or whatever. And yeah. so then he's like cold and he goes like well i fucking just live outside now i'm like losing my mind and somebody says go to this fucking place and get it. there's a thrift store and get a coat there's a lot of great yeah. thrift in this city and so he goes to the thrift store which turns out to be this other character runs it she just like uh, fills yeah. in a lot of gaps and she's also the dentist and also the tattooers whatever yeah but she goes oh yeah we've got all these great coats and he's looking at him and he goes like Oh, these must be like really expensive. She goes, Oh, they, yeah, they were 20 years ago. But the thing yeah. is, everyone who was in high fashion in New York 20 or 30 years ago, or like back in the 80s, moved out the here epidemic. and they all died. And so now they're thrift co store coats. You get it for 20 bucks or whatever. Yeah. And so you have all these zombie washed up wannabe poser, like ineffectual artists. Who are all dressed like oh my god it's, yeah. they're dressed like, like legitimate artists, artists yeah. from <laughs> but from the previous wave of artists and it's like that's such a good catch dude, dude. new york is full yeah. of that shit man every yeah. everywhere is full of that the massive amounts of people that are into subcultures are yeah. ha are imitating a thing that already happened that was more important when it happened they're not doing a new thing which then yeah. causes the next wave you know amazing catch dude because uh, uh the thing that i thought was uh funny about them or like fucked up was <laughs> at one point the scientist lady she explains that the reason that the pale people are like walking around wailing and in miserable violence and shit is because most of us most people will never truly know if they are unique or special or talented like we'll always wonder yeah but if you take the pill you do find you find out and to live with the knowledge that you have no creative ability like will destroy your mind is basically like <laughs> what she says and it's like damn that's fucked up it is it's interesting because it is kind of this artist thing where artists in general seem to think that everybody else either like wants to be an artist or thinks they are yeah um but then also it's so that's, you know, that the sentiment of like how horrible it must be to have to confront not having talent. That's a horror only to an artist. <laughs> like, it's not that horrible to anybody who doesn't give a shit about creativity. A lot of people don't care. Yeah, exactly. Um, but then so then that's what interest, what's interesting to go back to that is uh, so the Sarah Paulson character, right? She. Um, Macaulay Culkin, he's her friend, but he keeps trying to get her once in a while to take the black pill. And she keeps saying no. And he is like, why is it? Do you think that you're not talented enough? You don't think your paintings could be in the gallery and could be in the museums and whatever. And she was like, no, I don't think so. And so they're having this conversation and they're both, they both come to the conclusion of no, I don't think I am. But as you said, with Macaulay Culkin's character, he later takes in and we discover he was. So he was actually the uh, talented artist who doesn't believe in himself. Yeah. Whereas she ends up doing like once he becomes, he takes the pill and he becomes talented and he comes back to her one more time. And he's like, look, look how great things turned out for me. You should take the pill. So then she's like, okay, fine. I will. So she takes the pill. And the thing is when the people first take it, they experience like a high euphoria where they start like manically producing, but then they quickly start to see that what they're producing is like garbage. Right. So then they like start getting very angry because it's not working. Right. Like imagine you take a bunch of Adderall, but then like you just can't, do anything right yeah so she's on the beach with him and 
she takes the, the pill and she starts painting maniacally and then sees that it's bad. And then she fucking kills Macaulay Culkin, right? And then kills herself by walking into the ocean with her fucked up ugly painting, I believe, right? Which is, again, another, like, hit-you-over-the-head metaphor, but it is this, like, cannibalism within artists thing, right? Of, like, the jealousy that ruins friendships between artists. Um, the idea that there's, like, there's a very thin line between, like, we love each other and support each other and see each other as peers and comrades and want to support everything the other does, but then sometimes that's confronted with complete, like, you're my competition, you are part of what makes me feel less than, Yeah. you, you know? Well, uh, there's another thing with, with them where, like, he forced her to take the pill. Yeah. She, on principle, said, I will never do that. Yeah. And he created a situation where she had to in order to, like, to not get killed. And I think yeah. with that, and I don't really, it's like, kind of unclear to me whether she was going to turn into a Nosferatu or she was a legitimate artist after she took yeah, the pill. Yeah, that's true. But it sounds like the metaphor here, at least, is, like... He, she, she was protecting her sense of self by not ever taking the litmus test of are you a yeah. good artist or not, and he forced her to do it, and that caused her entire fucking world to turn upside down, and yeah. it just shattered her, like, defense mechanism, and then she took it out on him because mm -hmm. he like ruined her life and like that i feel like that happens a lot with like convincing your friend to go do an open mic or something like that yeah. because they've been oh. in their head forever like yeah. maybe i'll be really good maybe i won't yeah but dude but uh, jake it's even like um fucking the way that some i don't i don't say like ostracize each other but even like pressure each other into like man you know, I'm a seller guy. Come be a seller guy, too. <laughs> you know, I'm a fucking, like, why don't you want to do gas digital? Come on, fucking, it'll take us on the road. We'll do things. And they, like, pressure you into maybe, like, decisions that you might not want to make. But then it's, like, their way of, like, this this will work. This is how to be an artist. This is how to, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then in the absence of knowing better or having other choices, artists will follow along with that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which I think is kind of what she did. But so the metaphor there is that that ultimately will destroy her and the friendship and maybe even the first artist with the bad intentions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so let's get to the end because uh, I got a couple of things there. But one is you're totally right. Um, uh, watching today, the last episode of the season, I was like, holy shit, she's Dave Becky. <laughs> <laughs> the agent because uh you know jake says uh she absolutely is the villain of this you would think that it would be the scientist lady who was making the drug but i think that she was something totally different uh that i don't know we can talk about separately but the agent was really interesting because she actually like doesn't come in from the very beginning she shows up when um the husband calls her and tells her that he's having like fucking writer's block and you can't write shit and she's like well you better fucking write because you know this other person just fired you or whatever so then he like asked her for her help or some shit so she goes and she drives to Provincetown, and um once she gets there she figures out the pill thing and like jake said immediately is like oh hell yeah that's fine you need me to get you blood <laughs> like what do you need so you can keep writing like this but it's so much worse than that because then she goes and she finds the source of the pills and she basically tries to make a deal with her 
and eventually does get the deal and like they move to LA and uh, the deal being not that she wants to take those pills for herself, but that she wants to a give them to all of her current clients. Right. So think about that. Number one, that way, the ones who are actually talented will amp up their production, make a lot of money, become super famous, make me lots of money. And B, the ones that are not actually that talented, goodbye, I can stop wasting my time on them. They can go become pale people. <laughs> you know, like, that's worse than firing your fucking client that's not getting work. That's just like, let's just see <laughs> if you turn into a fucking zombie. Um, so she starts with her clients. And then after that, by the time we're in L.A., um, she's like going to Starbucks and giving them to whoever's like working on a screenplay in a on a laptop in a Starbucks. Yeah. And the scientist lady is like, dude, but you're just going to make so many pale people. Like, obviously, you know, if they're working on their <laughs> in Starbucks, they're not good. Which is like a fucked up dig to everyone in LA, in LA from right. those fucking writers. <laughs> but um, the fucking um, agent, she's like, well, I mean, you know, what do you want me to do? There's no way that I can like keep up this lifestyle by like going out there and watching talent and seeing if they have potential <laughs> and like reading scripts and like asking people who they like we don't have time for that i just need to go out and like immediately know in 24 hours whether or not you're fucking gonna be gold you yeah know? so starts to hit the nail really on the head at the end of yeah, this yeah totally dude so she first of all so she did that she also helped the little girl kill the dad so because the dad after he wrote all these Screenplays, he wanted to quit the black pills and make the girl quit black pills too. Yeah. Because he didn't want to be a bad dad. And he thought that, like, with the five books or whatever screenplays that he wrote, he was going to be rich and famous enough that he wouldn't have to write anymore. So the agent helped the nine year old kill her father because they could just live off of those scripts post mortem and whatever while this other one becomes a little violin so she's like i'll adopt you (laughs) yeah the agent is a great sociopath because she was the dad's agent that's how she came into this story and then immediately was just like saw all the writing on the wall and was like oh i can totally fucking drop this guy off the planet and then like capitalize off of the daughter and i guess what Every other the... person with Dallin in LA <laughs> get a pill into. My favorite yeah. thing with her arc is uh that at the at the very end she's at um she like this thing she's describing, she's like, I don't want to sift through people individually. I just want to mass, like spread these yeah. pills and see what happens. Culminates with her going to what is very clearly a satirization of this guy, Robert McKee, who wrote a book called Story, which is one of the three big books if you ever get into screenwriting you move to la people say you got to read a story by mckee or save the cat or like story circle and all that dan Herman bullshit or whatever but mckee's really That's funny that is she goes to speak at his thing yeah and he okay. like he's if you've ever seen adaptation like they wrote uh, him yeah. into the movie adaptation and they like specifically got away with it by flattering him with letting him pick his own actor and not telling him like kind of what the movie was about and stuff. And they yeah. did the same thing where they like, they really made fun of him because he's like kind of a grifter. His book is like pretty, it's, I mean, I read it and I kind of was like, wow, this is blowing my mind. But then I thought about it like a little bit later. I was like, I think there's a lot of fancy talk for like, you can't scientifically explain how to tell a story, which is what this guy's yeah. trying to do and how they, and they explain it in the scene. She kind of just goes like, you, who are you to sell this idea? You've only sold like one movie in the eighties fucking a million years ago and it failed. And that's kind of true about those types of guys. So like just as a self-aware Hollywood, you know, 
fucking satire or whatever. It's really funny that she just her her like dismount of all this, her nuclear bomb that she drops is to go to that seminar, which is a thing that still happens today in LA. It's just like everyone take a pill, just see what the fuck happens, Mm -hmm. and they all just like literally like you rather listen to this hack. Or listen to me, because by this point, she's also, like, the agent for a bunch of people who are doing well. Right, yeah. Right? So she's, like, walking in there, like, I'm Dave Becky. You know who the fuck I am. Is it, you know, like... Oh, that is interesting. That is, like, another effect of, like, if if you just have these people going already, then everyone assumes that you assumes have the you're good at this eyeball thing. You know, the for... Eye. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And which is very interesting, because it counter... Um, it contradicts the idea that the whole season has been presenting that not being creative hurts you or like is like a thing that hurts an individual like you would be sad to find out that you don't have a creative talent but actually look at this fucking crazy psycho bitch (laughs) she's like driven and passionate and very talented quote you know the way it looks from outside because she's got all these talent she looks like the way people are like yeah dave becky He's got Amy Poehler. He's got fucking all the famous people in comedy, right? He must be a great fucking agent. But no, it's because you got all the famous people. <laughs> like, it's not. <laughs> and they were going to get booked anyway, buddy. They're famous. So, you know, like, I don't yeah. understand. So what is it that an agent does for someone like that? Other than these things of, like, try to keep women from speaking out against you when you sexually harass them or cross boundaries or, like, hide your affairs from your spouse or fucking uh, who knows who knows what other shit to make sure that their little golden goose continues to produce right yeah um so it, was, it yeah to me that it she ended up being my favorite and the most scary ooh in this horror thing i was like oh my god she's the most evil because she straight up destroyed la so here's what i wanna before we go to that uh so they moved to la and the way this happens in the show is like we see the scene where the daughter kills the, the dad and then all of a sudden we just like jump to I think three months later and they're in LA. And the first thing we see in LA is like tourists and shit walking down Hollywood Boulevard or whatever it's called. Avenue? No, Boulevard. And uh all of a sudden you just see a cop run out and he's like real pale and he attacks a tourist and he starts <laughs> fucking ripping his uh throat out and shit, right? Yeah. And Jake, I had a moment of like, oh shit, that is so cool, right? Because you know what I thought? I thought, oh, shit, this L.A. cop thought that he was really going to be, like, an actor or some shit. (laughs) So he took the fucking pill, and of course a cop has no talent, so he turned into a pale person. Like, this is a great, subtle critique of cops, right? And I was like, oh, shit. And then what did they do, Jake? They turned it into the black woman scientist for funsies was purposefully giving the black pill to cops who were on the bad cops list for L.A. Yeah. Right? This part kind of sucked. Exactly! Because they (laughs) shoehorned in this same thing of, like, what we were talking about with Candyman. So it's like a second parallel that I'm trying to tell you, like, point to you, point out to you, that she, like, out of nowhere, they're just, like, it just, if you cut that scene out, it doesn't change anything. It's fine. So it's like a gratuitous window into this character just being like well i already have all the money i need because of the agent chick you know taking care of everybody fucking getting famous and giving me money uh so you know i just had time so i thought i would like help clean up the city by giving these pills to these cops so they politicize and makes it sound like i think it's bad to politicize i definitely don't 
But they made the point that they wanted to until they fucking talked about it. <laughs> and then it was like, <laughs> what the fuck? What are you talking about? Because meanwhile, the whole city is exploding with the pale people because of this bitch just giving them to whoever, you know? Yeah. And so it's just like a slight, like, offshoot nothing like oh yeah by the way cops hate black people <laughs> like it was lame it was just sort of so like a clumsy. weird it was like, just so clumsy it was performative on behalf on the part of the people running the show i think to just yes. sort of like throw in a thing relevant to like the police protests last year and stuff because like there's two yes. major problems i had with that or a she first of all this character's been a sociopath the entire time so mm-hmm. like it's weird that she would you have worked a, for the military s- making drugs to fuck people up and y- then you did it for fun and y- like, yeah you make cops yeah. it doesn't make any sense that you yeah. have a conscious about cops so like for one thing the idea like the way that she's presented as making sense of how anything good happens in the world or justice or whatever is yeah if you get rich enough eventually you do philanthropy you're just bored enough mm-hmm. and that's that's the how we get out of everything is like i don't know i guess if yeah. you just if you once you have all your needs taken care of then you just start throwing money at a problem and the way she throws money at it is is by validating this this rotten apple fucking idea that like uh oh the problem with police is that there's a few of them there's just a few of them and so what we need is a superhero at this point to go in and weed Mm -hmm. out all of the bad ones as if a like i don't know it's fucked up that they would have this character believe that but then also maybe people out there do believe that but it's just all it's wrong like no it doesn't even make sense because then like literally what we just saw was a cop attack a person because he turned into a pale person so what you're saying is you don't want cops to shoot black people but it's okay if they bite black people and rip their necks out well i think she's creating situations where she puts the she gets a cop to take the black pill which turns them into the thing and then the other cops will kill that person and i think we're supposed to understand the collateral damage right. is just like well, we don't really exactly. fucking care or whatever yeah because we're going through one by point. one and <laughs> yeah. and it's like the other thing that occurred to me while i was watching that is like if if if, uh, if on a police force the worst cop on the police force turns into a fucking nosferatu vampire and eats a black guy the other cops aren't going to kill him. They're going to give him a paid vacation. Like, he's just going to be at home <laughs> being a yeah. <laughs> monster. They'll believe in mental health then. They'll be like, he's he's very ill. Yeah. He'll be on the news and shit. And yeah. Like, you know, doing his, his statement to the to the court. And he's just like, <laughs> you know, they would never fucking kill him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it was exactly. dumb. It was a dumb fucking thing. And it had nothing to do with the plot. But okay, yeah. whatever. Well... I'm glad you watched these things and you enjoyed, it sounds like you enjoyed them. Um, yeah. Some of, some of the gems in my recent watching. <laughs> American Horror Story is so funny because like, I mean, I was talking about this when we talked about Malignant last week or whatever, but like yeah. people are, people have way too small of an idea of what something like horror is supposed to be. And like yeah. these people clearly are, you know, they're they're into camp and overacting mm-hmm. and just like swinging for the fences and not everything is fucking tongue in cheek and it's yeah. like supposed to be kind of stupid and stuff and you can do, get really creative when you don't take your re, your universe that seriously and stuff yeah. like they do and shit and i just i think it's like a lot of fun it was great like uh you it's the type of tv i could throw on and not have yeah. to be glued to it and stuff and still totally get a lot out of it and also with bra- like stupid you know brushes and tools and stuff 
it worked in some really great thematic stuff that we're talking yeah. about here that it is actually pretty smart, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't yeah, think it's totally. actually as dumb as it lets on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think it when it's dumb, it's on purpose. Um, you, you shouldn't skip seasons because, like I said, at some point it does matter. But um, last season is hilarious. Okay. So it is, you know, I, I think a lot of people hated it. But I think it was purposefully horror slash comedy slash camp. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, because I forget what the fucking titles are of the seasons, but it's basically, uh, it takes place in the eighties and in a like teen sleepaway camp. Okay. So it's like, it's basically like Freddy Krueger, like every movie, sure, yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But it has, uh, uh, what's his face? Uh, Ramirez, the killer, uh, Night Stalker. The Night Stalker is in it, right? Cool. So they combine the Night Stalker whole story with just this, like, very normal, like, very overdone trope of teenagers at sleepaway camp, and then they start getting murdered. Yeah. And then it becomes, like, they add ghosts. Like, it turns, it's insane. <laughs> and then the whole time, oh, my God, Jake, I love it so much because the, one of the things that they uh, wrote in was that Ramirez, uh, loved Billy Idol and like honestly I don't know if that's a true fact but like they made it like he was obsessed with Billy Idol <laughs> and so then like oh my god it's amazing oh my god and it also has an artist thing because he's like obsessed with Billy Idol and then at one point in the camp they're gonna have like a concert and Ramirez shows up at the fucking thing because his plan is that he's gonna kill all the musicians except for Billy Idol <laughs> <laughs> it's so fucking great and it's just like over the top campy overacted and the music is amazing and fantastic throughout the whole thing it's just like 80s fucking hits while people get murdered <laughs> it's yeah. so funny and a bunch of people hate it and i think they just don't have a sense of humor about horror oh man i don't know for some yeah. reason i feel like like this show people watch it it's been on for 10 fucking yeah. years uh but the people who don't like it are louder and more on twitter than the people who yeah. enjoy it and i think that probably says something about twitter like people who the massive yeah. amount of people who are watching this enjoying it are probably just not feeling the need to constantly be whining and dunking on shit online or whatever and yeah. you know it's probably a better time to to enjoy the TV show than it is to sit, try and feel superior to it. It's very cool. I think it made a really great statement about, um, just to get back to that season a little bit, like that we were talking about the red tide one, like, um, okay. I was thinking a lot about this idea of like the industry saying that, uh, they confront raw talent and then like shape it and stuff like yeah. that. And that like kind of being worked through with, this idea of uh you know just selling drugs like a, or like a faustian deal like to the talent that you're engaged with because i think that it grappled with that a little bit and then like at the end of it with the ending that we were talking about with the the industry lady the agent yeah. it showed you like yeah, this is complete bullshit, this idea. Like, this woman is not nurturing talent. Not she, at all, She yeah. didn't do that. She didn't make any of these people successful. She actually just threw them into, like, an insane meat grinder that made their lives worse. Even the ones that were talented, like, before they took the pill, you know? And, like, that's, like, really yeah. reflective of, like, yeah, you're saying she's, like, a good avatar for, like, a Dave Becky or something like that. Because mm -hmm. with both the... The thing that happened in Candyman and the thing that kind of destroys these people's 
like character arcs um it's it's like there's this constant question you got to ask yourself of like what would art look like outside of capitalism would without the profit motive and the need to commodify it and for it to be a goose that lays a golden egg over and over and over again that's that makes your life better and makes you be able to take care of your family and all that stuff you know would that like would that exist would it be better you know i don't know but i think that like what these things reflect or at least these like yeah these couple of stories that we just talked about reflect is that uh it certainly doesn't get better the more you become fixated and obsessed with that supposedly working Mm -hmm. the way it's it's like that's the fucking phrase there it supposedly works it's the thing we're all told is supposed to be fucking great and it's like not at all right yeah well i think the dad is the perfect example of that because in American Horror Stories, because the dad is the one who brings the agent, right? So we can make the assumption that he is, if not her most successful client, then one of them, because how, why the fuck are you driving three hours or whatever from New York? Right, yeah. Whatever the fuck. Like, if you're not important to your agent, they're not doing that shit for you, right? So he's the one that brought her into the pill thing. He takes the pills. He sucks the blood. He does all the stuff so that he can write all the successful shit. She reads it. She starts getting all the calls, like we said, from Tarantino, from everyone who all read the fucking scripts the guy wrote. She's on her way to making money and being famous as as his agent, right? So you would think you're safe. You're the golden goose. You're the Louis C.K. of, of this Dave Becky, right? But what happened as soon as... She saw the potential for more growth and more money potentially cut off by the actions and decisions of that dad. She was like, oh, peace, I'm out. I'm going to get a a new one, right? She fucking unloaded, just like Dave Becky unloaded Louis C.K. the moment. Oh, now it looks bad that I fucking tried to blackmail women into not saying shit about you being a fucking horrible person. All right. Oh, now, now you're going to take a step back. Now that it all came out, but when you were covering it up, that was all fine, right? So it's a perfect, yeah, perfect analogy. I really, really enjoyed it. I loved it, and I thought it was uh, very um, serendipitous, I guess, that these things are coming out. I mean, I guess we all live in the same zeitgeist, and these ideas are circulating, and more writers are thinking about their role as writers. Oh, this is another thing that maybe we can end on, or I don't know if you have something else, but I guess I'll end on. I'm the last thing I'll say. <laughs> um, when you were saying the thing about like, uh, I don't think like all comics like necessarily put people in their jokes or like talk about people they know in their jokes and stuff like that. And you said, maybe this is like a thing writers specifically are worrying about like TV writers. I think you, you might be right. I definitely think comics don't worry about this, <laughs> but <laughs> Um, also, I think this might be coming from social sciences a little bit in that in the social sciences during the years that I was getting trained, that was just kind of like, I don't want to say the beginning, but it was like, cause it was already getting taught in school, but a big tenet, I guess, of, uh, writing about humans as is taught to you in social sciences is that you have a giant responsibility in how you represent others and in the whose stories you tell, right? So the idea being like the whole history of anthropology has literally been rich white men going, like having a little hobby about like 
the fucking Pacific, what the West Pacific Islands or whatever, you know? So they like go there on vacation and they fucking fuck the women and eat the shit and steal the art. And then they come back and they're like, Oh, I wrote a book about these dudes. Here's what they believe. Here's what I named them. Here's, you know, like, yeah, that is obviously not responsible representation. <laughs> that is obviously not you telling stories that belong to you or that you understand or, you know, so it's not the way to do responsible writing. Um, so in anthropology specifically, you, we are, we were taught, um, that I think if you pick up most ethnographies that are written in the last like 20 years, 10, yeah, 20 years, um, you'll see that they usually start with the anthropologist doing like an entire preface that is acknowledging their own positionality, right? So they will talk about what they set out to observe. They will talk about um, where they come from, like what their motivations were, the limitations of what our identity and our position um, put on what we can know, right? So like, there are certain spaces I can't enter because I'm not a man or because I'm too white or because, you know, I don't speak the language. So if I go someplace to write a book about them, I have to acknowledge up front that I'm not presenting a, a full picture of this culture if there are spaces I can't access, if there are things that I don't understand or that they're unwilling to translate for me, let's say. So, for example, uh, Midsummer. Oh, let's tie it up with some more fucking horror. Okay. Uh, to me, the most horrible part of Midsummer was when the fucking dude asked to see the holy book or whatever. You remember that? Yeah, yeah. So one the little short anthropologist to be, he's like, oh my God, I got to see this fucking book because it's going to be in my thesis and whatever the fuck, this is going to be amazing. So he asks permission and the tribe people are like, no, you can't. You're like an outsider. You can't touch it. You can't see it. So this motherfucker goes in the middle of the night and sneaks in and tries to, and like touches it and takes pictures of it. And then he gets murdered. <laughs> and so then I'm like, hell yeah. Like, I was like, yes, kill that motherfucker. You're not supposed to do that. Yeah. You know better than that. That's fucking insane that you would be like, I'm going to go look at your fucking sacred thing that you told me not to look at so that I could write about it. That's some fucking colonizer shit. Right. Yeah. So I forgot why I brought that up. We were talking about the Twilight oh, the, Zone. Yeah. You, oh, yes. So the idea, um, I think, might be bleeding out into other types of writers uh of where uh, because you do see more op-eds recently about that like do you did you remember the cat person thing yeah it came out and then later the the lady that cat person was based on wrote a new yorker <laughs> thing about how it was unfair of her to like tell a story that wasn't about her and it like represented the relationship wrong it's like a whole fucking thing so it is in the zeitgeist very much to be considering it's the other side of representation of like um what is it diversity and representation uh, it, it's not just a matter of like visually is, is it diverse, but this idea of like in the writer's room, if you still just have a room full of white people writing stories that now just include like a black person and a brown person here and there, that is not true diversity, right? Because yeah, or just... if it's like a terrible one dimensional version of the yeah. person that you didn't do any research on or fire or something. Honestly, to write even for if it's good, even if it's good, it's still not. It's you telling a story that is not yours on behalf of another. Yeah. Instead of asking the one who could tell the story themselves. You know? Right, yeah. Um, so, I don't know. Ethics and art, baby. The funnest, the funnest topics there are. See me at a party. 
<laughs> it was super fun. All right. Well, I think when this is coming out, it'll be October-ish. Uh, I know like, the fall just started as of like yesterday or something like that. Uh, let's talk about horror more this month. I love horror. It's so okay. it's so good with its little metaphors and stuff. And they're mm-hmm. like. I would not. Sometimes horror could be heavy-handed, but I want to say it's just more that it's strong. The metaphors are just real strong. Yeah, I love yeah. them. I, could, I love them too, man. I think it's great. I love uh, end of the world movies, all of that shit. Let's do it. Um, this is not horror, but if you get a chance to watch White Lotus, I mean, it's not that good. So I don't know. Don't do that. Maybe not. <laughs> um, it's fine, I guess. I don't know. I'll leave it up to you, I guess. Uh, but yeah, we'll talk. I'm going on vacation, so we put this out next week. But we will do, if we can do like a quick 30-minute mailbag, we can do that now. Um, and then I'll see you in a week or two. Cool. Let's do it. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Oh, also, plugs. Uh, sign up for our Patreon, patreon.com slash mad. We do Q&A episodes on our bonus feed, and you can email us those uh, questions for those episodes at whyyoumadpod at gmail.com. Uh, I think that's all we have to plug. Listen to my other podcast, Pod Damn America. Okay, that's it. Bye. <laughs>